Hey guys, welcome to the final bonus episode. We're reading The Corrigan from Rebecca Kenny. This is a sample of her awesome book, and I hope you guys are enjoying it so far. We're getting these three bonus episodes in the middle of the week just to, as kind of my way of saying thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy the extra content, but also as a way to uh, just get get people in touch with Rebecca Kenny as uh, an indie author. That's kind of my hope with this podcast is to be able to bring you some of the classics like Treasure Island that we're doing that's still going to be publishing there on Sundays. But in the meantime, during the middle of the week, I want to bring you some bonus content content like this of indie authors who are doing awesome stuff and just be able to, to get and spread the word about what they're doing. So that's what this is all about. Hope you guys have enjoyed these bonus episodes. If you missed the first two, just go back and, and check them. It says bonus right at the start of each episode. So you might have noticed like, oh, wait, why, why are there extra another world audiobook episodes here? It's not Sunday yet. But uh, don't worry. It's just these bonus episodes. Hope you guys are enjoying them. Make sure to check out Rebecca Kenny. All the links are down below. And, you know, just send some writing slash reading community love her way on social medias and uh, on Amazon and wherever else you can find her. So now, without further ado, I give you the last three chapters of this sample of Corrigan. 5. Legend Ashland I'm standing on a column of red rock, chasms opening on every side like gaping mouths. Across the yawning gaps, sheer cliffs rise to meet a stormy sky, roiling with red-brown clouds. Suddenly, over the lip of my rocky perch slides a foot, all white ridged knuckles and curved yellow claws with points sharp as scalpels. I gasp and back away, but immediately I hear scraping behind me as two more clawed feet appear, then a horrible pale head and neck fused together, long and thick and sinuous like a snake's body. Narrow eyes flash, the pale lips writhe back, and the creature snaps its yellow teeth at me. It's gaining purchase on the rocky edge now, scrambling up onto the column. Time to scream. Time to run. But I can't make a sound, and there's nowhere to run. I make a split-second decision that I'd rather die at the bottom of the chasm than be ripped apart at the seams by those jaws. I dash to the edge and look down. More creatures are swarming up the side of the stone columns, claws slipping and scratching, backs humping, tails lashing. They stretch their snake-like necks toward me and scream for my blood. My mouth opens, but I can't scream back. There's no way to jump now. I just fall into those shrieking, toothy mouths. No weapons except a lump of rock that I snatch, scraping the skin of my knuckles. I heft it in my hand, like the leprechauns did at the pool today. The leprechaun. The pool. This is a dream. A terrible, terrible dream. Wake up. The white demons are all around me now. I smash my stone against the skull of one. Its pale skin peels away, revealing raw pink flesh underneath. It screams in my face and slashes my arm to ribbons with its claw. Agony. Real, visceral agony. I have to wake up. Another beast opens its jaws, and I see three rows of yellow teeth and a mass of purple gums and tissue. Right before it clamps down on my side, chewing, chewing into my insides, the pain is blinding. In my ear, I hear a voice, not mine, a low, masculine voice with a mocking lilt. Wake up, Alice. Alice, wake up. I'm awake, sweating, shaking, feeling my body in a panic that parts might be missing. Everything is still there. It wasn't real. I fly out of my bed and turn on the light. My room is just as it always was. The hardwood floor with the soft white rug, the pink and aqua bedspread, the white curtains with a gold pattern. My pictures, some vintage prints, and one of Gemma's paintings. The nightstand, the desk, the big chair, and the dresser. Deep breaths, in and out. When I've stopped shaking, I peel off the sweat-soaked pajamas and use a damp washcloth to blot my face and neck. The Corrigan never told me about having nightmares after their first life-stealing. It was so long ago for all of them that I doubt they would even remember. It's probably a perfectly normal part of the transition. Of course it is. 
But what was with that voice? I recognized the reference to Alice in Wonderland, of course, but I haven't read the book or watched the movie since I was a kid, like nine years old, maybe. After a drink of water, I flip off the light switch and slip back into bed. The sheets have dried somewhat, but it's still unpleasantly damp, so I scoot over and find a dry spot. Soon, I sleep again. This time, everything is black. I'm standing upright, but I can't see the ground. I can't see walls or ceiling or anything. It's all inky black. I shuffle forward, hands outstretched. There's a faint wafting of air around me, and it feels as if I'm in a big, big room. A cave? But it isn't damp or echoey like a cave. Squinting, I peer into the nothing. Is that a spot of light? Faster I walk, toward the pale speck. It's very far away. I walk and walk. Finally the speck looks a little larger. It's lumpy now, and its shape keeps changing. I squint even harder, straining my eyeballs to see better. When I try to call out, the nothing stops my voice. So I run toward the white lump, and it runs toward me. That's what it's doing. It's running toward me. I can see it now. Four legs, four clawed feet, a long lashing tail, a sinuous neck with a blunted head and narrow eyes. It does not scream. It only runs after me. Lightning quick, I turn and race away into the nothing. I run until my shins ache and my feet throb and my eyes water with the pain in my lungs. I can't hear the demon's feet, but I know it's coming. Faster, faster than I could ever flee. Wake up, wake up! With a sickening wet thump, it lands on my back, claws slipping deep in my flesh. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up! Tears flood my cheek and my mouth opens in wordless agony as the thing bites my neck. And then... Wake up, Alice, says the voice, the same smooth male voice I heard before, the same mocking tone. Alice, wake up. I'm awake, and I'm sobbing and trembling so hard I can't even get out of bed to flip on the overhead light. With shaking fingers, I manage to turn on my bedside lamp. I'm a mess, all tears and snot and coughing sobs. I'm not even trying to stay quiet. Maybe if I cry loudly enough, one of the Corrigan will come in and ask what's wrong. But no one comes. Their rooms are probably too far away for them to hear me, or they don't care. Maybe I'm being silly. After all, these are my first real nightmares. They probably just seem unbearable because I'm not used to them. This is a normal human thing, right? I should be able to handle it. I struggle out of the damp sheets and slide into my computer chair. The bluish glow of the laptop is comforting somehow. With trembling fingers, I type, How to get rid of nightmares. Number one on the list, Set a regular sleep schedule. I snort with nervous laughter. That could be my problem, for sure. The other ideas, exercise, eliminating caffeine and alcohol, not watching horror movies before bed, don't seem to apply to me. I click the X to close the browser tab, or at least I try, but my hands haven't recovered their control quite yet, and the mouse shakes. I end up clicking a tab that's still open, the Irish mythology website I was reading early in the evening. Closely related to the leprechaun, the fear deer dresses in red from top to toe. He loves to play macabre practical jokes. He can mimic voices or sounds, turn himself invisible, or give his victims the worst of nightmares. The worst of nightmares. The fear dirg. I picture a loathsome, splotchy toad of a man, dressed in a coat and hat, gleefully rubbing his palms together as he spins horrific dreams just for me. Could he be here, in the house? I leap up and check under the bed, in the closet, in the bathroom. He's nowhere in my room. I lock the bedroom door and double-check that the windows are closed tight and latched. You're being ridiculous, Ashlyn, I tell myself aloud. It's just a story, and they're just dreams. Still, I can't bring myself to get back into bed. 
Instead, I curl up in my big, comfy blue armchair, drape myself with my favorite pink blanket, and watch TV on my laptop. The next thing I know, sunlight is streaming through the curtains. My laptop slipped from my relaxed hands hours ago and lies on the rug by the chair. The night is over. I'm so relieved I could cry. On the way to the bathroom, I wake up my laptop, planning to turn it off. There's a notification on the screen. I have an email from Zane. Hey Ashlyn, really enjoyed hanging out with you. I'd like to see you again sometime. You got any free time this week or the weekend? Hit me back. Zane. By the end of the email, I'm grinning like an idiot. He likes me. He wants to see me again. And he spelled my name right. But it's too soon to jump into something like this. I just got my days. Maybe I only feel like this because he was pretty much the first guy I saw in the sunlight. There are millions of guys my age in the world, and I'd be crazy to fall for this one. I'm totally crazy. But at least I can pretend I'm not. So, I replied to his email. Hey Zane, I liked hanging out with you too. If you and the guys want to do something this weekend, I'd love to join you. Nope, too stilted. I backspace, I'd love to join you. Instead, I type, If you and the guys want to do something this weekend, I'm down with it. No, that's not my style either. Sounds like I'm trying too hard. If you and the guys want to do something this weekend, I'm in. Let me know. See you then, Ashlyn. Much better. Not too eager and I made it clear that I want our interaction to be part of a group for now. I feel very proud of myself for being so mature. Now, I just have to wait for the weekend. I shower and dress in a daze. The nightmare is nearly forgotten. If I think about Zane, I don't have to think about the pale, putrid monsters and their screams and their rows of yellow teeth. When I come downstairs, Magnolia is making breakfast. Sausage, eggs, waffles. The kind of food they ate while I was roaring and clawing in my dungeon a few dozen feet below the breakfast table. Gemma and Jillian are watching a morning TV show, and Arden already has her laptop out. It smells divine! I snatch a piece of sausage. It's so hot, I have to toss it between my fingertips till it cools enough to eat. How was your first night? Asked Magnolia, her round face dimpling. I stare into her blue eyes, rimmed with pale red lashes. She's completely serious, so the nightmares aren't normal then. Um, it was fine. I pop the hot sausage into my mouth so I don't have to elaborate. Arden glances over at me. You'll need to do some lessons today. Calculus, chemistry, and start in the Great Gatsby. Mmm, the Roaring Twenties. Jillian tilts her head back and closes her eyes. Remember those days, Gemma? I remember Philip, says Gemma, and they both burst into giggles. Arden rolls her eyes. It never gets old with you two, does it? Chasing the boys. You know what I remember about the Twenties? Women could finally work some of the same jobs as men, and you two should thank me and Maeve that you could afford the dresses and jewels you wore to those parties. We got jewels and dresses on our own, too, Gemma says with a pretend pout. Mostly from Philip, Jillian whispers loudly, and they dissolve into giggles again. I don't mind the homework, at least the literature part. I've been looking forward to reading Gatsby ever since I saw the movie. Well, movies. I've seen the 1974 and 2013 versions. May's voice comes from behind me, so close that I jump a little. Ashton has some other homework to do as well, she says, finding a suitable alternative to the first mark. The others are quiet. Gemma and Jillian go back to their show, and Magnolia acts very busy with the breakfast. Only Arden stays still, watching me and Maeve. I was expecting this, but not so soon. Not right after my first day. I have time, I say. One lunar cycle. Not much time to find another mark. We need to start planning now. She nods to Arden. Arden makes most of the money for the family. I've never talked to her about it, because she usually doesn't want to talk to me. 
but I've known for a long time that it has something to do with hacking, or cracking, or both. She's also the one who finds marks for the Corrigan when they want to beef up their livestream supply. I've been thinking about your next mark, Arden says. We could send you after a drunk or an addict, but that would require you going into unsavory parts of town. There's also the possibility of a babysitting gig, but then I wouldn't necessarily be able to find and disable any nanny cams to ensure you're not caught on video. I'm hearing problems, not solutions, Arden, says Maeve. Do you have any ideas? Arden's tone is clipped and cold. As Maeve hesitates, my brain races with possibilities. A Corrigan can lifesteal from anyone, except another Corrigan. We use babies because they sleep a lot, they can't defend themselves, and they won't remember what happened. Plus, they have a lot of livestream to spare. The problem with using babies these days is a heightened security around everything. Home security systems, video baby monitors, hospital security, hidden nanny cams, it's all very tight. We might have to use a hospital, says Maeve. I gasp. No way! If I disabled the cameras temporarily, got access to the doors, it could work. Arden says. No, I say. I'm not sneaking into a hospital to lifesteal. I almost got caught once already. This would be way more dangerous. Not if you go at night. Arden will handle the cameras and security systems, and Jillian will take care of distracting any nurses or security personnel. I will. Jillian doesn't look happy with the idea. Ladies, we've done this many times, says Maeve. We'll use the hospital on the other side of town. Arden's been in the system before, and we know the layout. Arden nods. I'll get in and check on the guard rotation, cleaning schedules, and shift changes. I stare at the platters of steaming food set out on the kitchen island. Suddenly, I'm not as hungry as I was. Maybe it's the idea of trying to sneak into a hospital full of patients, doctors, nurses, and security guards to lifesteal from a newborn baby. Are they insane? Magnolia pushes a plate into my hands. Eat up. She says. You've got a big week ahead of you. I load the plate with eggs, sausage, and a big waffle. Jillian and Gemma are sprawling on one couch, so I curl up on the other to try to enjoy my breakfast. The news is coming on, so I take the first bite. I'm barely listening until Jillian says, Maeve? Her voice is taut, intense, frightened. I've never heard her sound like this. Maeve looks up from her magazine. What is it? Jillian points at the TV. The reporter is discussing a rash of infant kidnappings. Horrible. Who would do something like that? As soon as the thought crosses my mind, another one clicks into place. Corrigan. We would do something like that. Wait, is one of you... Are you guys responsible for this? My voice quavers. No, you idiot, says Jillian. Maeve, do you think this could be... Silence! Maeve hisses. She steps closer to the television. Turn it up. The broadcast lasts a few minutes, long enough for me to know that our hospital plan is shot to hell. Extra security measures are being put in place at local hospitals, along with more guards and cameras. No way am I sneaking into Lifesteal and get away with it. Instead of being disappointed, I'm relieved. I take another bite of egg and sausage. Gemma stands up, fear in her eyes. It's him, she says. It's gotta be. No, says Jillian. We had an agreement. He stays away from us, we stay away from him. The world is big enough for us to coexist as long as we're far apart. Since when have agreements meant anything to him? Gemma says. He's nothing but a low-down trickster. A monster, Magnolia adds, 
Her face is salt white in his frame of frizzy red hair. Maeve, it isn't him, is it? You took care of it, right? Julian asks. After Fiona? Fiona? My mother's name? Who are they talking about? What does this have to do with my mother? I don't ask, because if I do, they'll remember I'm here and stop talking about it. I freeze, staring at my plate and listening with all my might. I took care of Fiona and her lover, says Maeve. What happened was her fault. She broke the agreement. I told her not to interfere with the Fia Dirk's business. Yes, but that was seventeen years ago. Magnolia is almost whining, pleading. Why would he come here? We've done nothing to provoke him. The news broadcast has moved on to other topics, but Maeve stands frozen in the center of the great room, hands clenched at her sides. Despite her crisp pantsuit and short-cropped hair, there's something ancient and regal about her. The others wait, barely breathing, eyes on her face. We don't know that it's him, she says finally, calmly. Humans, as we know, are incredibly depraved creatures. It could just as easily be one of them doing this. There are babysitting rings and human trafficking here, as in any human civilization. But no one has seen anything, Julian interrupts. No one has any clues. Doesn't that seem odd? It feels like his way of operating. I really think it's him. Magnolia emits a squeak of terror. Enough! Maeve's eyes flash around the room, and her voice is thunderous. Silence! We will not panic. We will not interfere. Our best course of action is to say nothing and do nothing. Do you understand? Of course, my lady, says Arden. Yes, my lady. The others whisper. And you, child? Maeve's eyes turn on me, and I reflexively shrink back into the couch cushions. Next time we begin a conversation that doesn't concern you, I expect you to leave the room. Understand? Yes. Your life-stealing attempt will be postponed until I say otherwise. Finish your breakfast and do your homework in your room. Homework is the last thing on my mind, but I go upstairs anyway, just so I can think. They were talking about the fear Dirk. It can't be a coincidence. How is he connected with the kidnapped babies, to mom and dad? And what did Maeve mean when she said she warned my mom not to interfere in his business? Maybe their death wasn't the straightforward apartment fire accident that I'd always been told it was. Again, as I've done a hundred times, I search online for anything I can find related to their deaths. There's that one news blurb about the fire, a couple hundred words long, and there's a death record. That's it. Nothing else to find, no matter how hard I try. My brain is humming with questions, but with no way to get answers, I have to give it up for now and do my homework. The next few days pass slowly, mostly homework and books and TV like normal, but I get to eat my meals with the others, and I can study outdoors and soak up sunshine in the porch or the lawn. Magnolia and I go grocery shopping during the daytime, a novelty for me, although I think she only asked me along to help with the bags. I relish breakfast in the morning, take long walks in the forest during the day, and ride my bike along sunny streets in the afternoons when other kids are done with school and no one will think that I'm playing hooky. The nights are anything but normal, if normal means sleeping all the way through till dawn. I have periods of restful, unbroken sleep, but there's always at least one nightmare that delivers bone-crunching pain and terror until I wake up shaking, my insides twisted in a knot. Do you ever have nightmares? I asked Gemma one morning. We both got up late, and the others are all busy in other parts of the house. She crunches a mouthful of cereal. No, well, sometimes, I guess. Like I dream that I'm completely naked in front of a crowd of... No, wait, those are the good dreams. She laughs, but the most I can manage is a half-hearted chuckle. 
I really want to know. Seriously, you never have nightmares? Like dreams where you can feel terrible pain, and then you wake up really scared? Hmm, I don't think so. Of course, you're more human and younger than I am, practically a child, and children tend to have those dreams, I think. I wouldn't worry about it, she says airily. Thanks, I won't. I don't think she picks up on the sarcasm, and it's just as well. It looks as if this, like all my other problems, is something I'll be handling on my own. I know what you need, she says after another mouthful of cereal. Retail therapy. Come on, it'll be fun. It's Wednesday today, right? Jilly and I are going to the mall this afternoon. You should come with us. Stay in the house and be bored, take yet another walk in the woods, or go hang out with people and buy things. Option C, please. I've been to the mall a few times in the evening, but we never stayed long. This time, I'm eager to check out all the little shops I've always wanted to visit and buy clothes that people will actually see me wear in the daytime. But the twins are intent on getting entirely new wardrobes for themselves, and supposedly for me too, although they take so long in the dressing rooms that we never make it over to my area of the department store. How do I look? asked Gemma for the hundredth time, coming out of the dressing room and twirling around in front of me. Like an old woman. I'm done humoring her. She puts her hands on her hips. Listen, Ashlyn, this would be a lot more fun if you had a better attitude. Give me some money, I counter. Let me go shopping in the stores where girls my age actually belong. She sighs. Fine, meet us at the food court at five o'clock. She pulls a few fifties out of her wallet and hands them to me. Of course, she wouldn't trust me with one of the credit cards. Still, it's more money than I've ever held in my hands. I salute her with the money and then practically skip out of the department store. A few cute tops, a dress, and some earrings later, I've made a big dent in the cash, and I have to pee. Seeing a sign for restrooms, I wander down a long hallway, deep into the bowels of the building. This is the older section of the mall, and the hallway floor tiles are all faded and cracked, the roughly textured wallpaper peeling in places. A smell of cleaning fluid and urine, old moisture and dust hangs in the air. On the walls, someone has stuck a few old posters with faded colors and vaguely inspirational sayings. The noise of the mall has faded behind me, and it's very, very quiet, except for the clopping of my wedge heels on the tile floor. How long is this hallway? Where the heck is the bathroom? The hall takes a sharp turn, and there are the men and women's bathrooms, facing each other across a T-shaped space. On the floor in front of the women's bathroom, there's a plastic yellow, caution wet floor sign, and a half circle of some greenish liquid with a faint mist rising from it. Ew. I step over it and push through the door anyway, because I need to pee and I've walked all this way. I stop dead. The door bangs shut behind me. I can hardly believe the scene in front of me. The door to the largest stall is wedged open with a stroller. A woman lies crumpled on the tiles, eyes closed. Her baby is in the stroller, sound asleep. And over the baby, sharp nails working at the buckles, bends a green-skinned leprechaun. I can see the feet of another leprechaun next to the woman's body, and a third is perched in one of the sinks, pushing the soap dispenser over and over and cackling as the froth piles up on the counter. I've surprised them. They freeze for a moment. She, how'd she get in? Squawks the leprechaun in the sink. The one in the bathroom stall squiggles out from under the partition. Corrigan, it hisses. Or barrier doesn't work on them. The one crouching over the baby sniggers. But something else will. He draws a long, wicked-looking knife from his boot. Come, Corrigan, come and see the wee babe. This isn't a nightmare. This is real. Do something, Ashlyn. Get a grip. Leave the baby alone, I say. The one in the sink bursts into cackles. She, she tells us to leave it alone. The others let out peals of laughter as well, 
Dropping my shopping bags, I glance around, desperate for something to fight them with. The one with the knife leaps off the stroller, slashing at me. Dodging, I seize the tall trash can and put it in front of me like a shield, but he leaps on top of it, grinning. I whip the bathroom door open and run through it, pulling it shut behind me. Thunk! His knife stabs into it. With my shoulder, I give the door a hard, fast shove, smacking it into the leprechaun's face. He screeches in pain, but before I can feel good about the hit, there's a cackle behind me. Whirling, I see soap bubbles, green fingers dripping with froth, a set of spiked metal knuckles on his right hand. Apparently, they can transport themselves as well as disappear. He lunges at me with his spiked fist. Seizing the caution sign, I swing it at him with all my strength. It cracks with the force of his punch, but I pull it back and whack him in the head with it this time. He howls, greenish blood oozing from his nose. A sharp sting of pain flashes through my thigh. The other leprechaun is out of the bathroom, and he just sliced through my jeans. My favorite jeans. My going to the mall on my first week in the sunshine jeans. You'll regret that! I kick him in the face with my thick wedge heel, but Soap Bubbles has leaped onto my back now, and he's drawing back his fist for another punch. My brain flashes back for an instant to my nightmare, the pale monsters surrounding me in my thin column of rock, tearing me apart. I scream, and I throw myself backward onto the floor. My head hits the tile with a hollow thud, and for a second, I can't think because there's pain and everything is ringing, but the leprechaun underneath me goes slack. Then, he's gone. He disappeared, and so did the one in the doorway. My head throbs, and I wonder vaguely if I killed any brain cells. Staggering to my feet, I stumble into the bathroom. The baby is still in the stroller. Thank goodness for tricky five-point harnesses. The mother is still on the floor. Quickly, I move the stroller out of the stall and check the woman's pulse. She's alive, breathing. I grab a wad of paper towels and sweep them through the soap on the counter. Then I scrub away all the acrid green liquid from the floor outside the bathroom. Just as I walk back in to throw the paper towels away, the woman stirs. I kneel next to her. Hey, are you okay? She opens her eyes. What, what happened? I think you passed out. My baby, where? Right here. She's right here, don't worry, she's asleep. The woman sighs and puts her hand over her face. I guess I didn't eat enough today. I've been so tired and so busy, and breastfeeding, let me tell you, that takes it out of you. Too much information. I'll walk you out, okay? Just to make sure you don't pass out again. Thanks, honey. Oh, and I probably shouldn't drive home. Do you have a phone? I forgot to bring mine. Sorry, I don't. She stares for a second. A teenager without a phone? Well, something new every day. She smiles. I can ask someone at one of the kiosks. While she washes her hands, I collect my slightly trampled shopping bags. We walk back down the hall. I walk to her right so she doesn't notice the cut on my right thigh, and I leave her in the capable hands of the guys selling women's facial products. I still have to pee, but no way I'm going back down the hallway. Instead, I head for the food court and use the restroom there. Water and paper towels don't do much for the cut on my thigh, but it doesn't seem that deep. I squeeze a few tissues down my jeans as a bandage. Thankfully, the jeans are tight enough to hold the tissues in place over the cut. When I come out, I'm still feeling weird and dizzy from thumping my head on the tile, so I buy a Sprite at one of the booths. Ashlyn! Not Jillian or Gemma's voice. This is a warm, young male voice. I turn, and Zane is grinning at me. Hey, nice surprise seeing you here. Yeah, yeah, just shopping. I shift my shopping bags over my right thigh so he doesn't see the blood stain, but he takes the bag right out of my hand. Let's see what you got here. Ooh, this is nice. You gonna wear this Friday? He holds up a green halter top. My cheeks flush. Maybe. Can't wait. He hands back the bag, but his eyes drop just in time to see the blood stain. Did you hurt yourself? Oh, I'm clumsy. 
I say. Just, um, bumped into a sharp table corner. Yeah, it's, it's nothing. It's fine. You need something better than tissues for it? I got a bandage in my backpack. Just saying. He's right. I do need something better than tissues. The blood is already soaking through. What time is it? I ask. Oh, uh, 4.45? 15 minutes until Gemma and Jillian show up. If they're on time, which they rarely are. Okay, I guess I could use a bandage. He swings the backpack off his shoulders. No problem. I keep them in here in case they get banged up running or playing ball. Thanks. I'll just go into the bathroom and put it on. I'll be here. I'll guard your... What is this? Sprite? Yeah. Be right back. When I return, freshly bandaged, he waves to me from a booth. I slide in across from him, wincing a little at the pull of my sliced muscle. He's watching my face. How'd you get that cut again? His brown eyes are serious now. A table corner? Uh-huh. Ashen, I don't know you well, but I really don't think that's what happened. See, that cut through your jeans is way too clean to have been done by a table. I chew my lip and look away from him. Did somebody hurt you? Don't worry about it, okay? Please, I'm really fine. He looks so concerned, and I hate seeing the worry on his handsome face. Hey! I touch the top of his hand. I'm okay, you don't need to worry. I'll let it go, for now, he says. The concern clears a bit, and he holds up his own shopping bag. Guess what I got? He sets a box on the table and opens it. Shoes? Dope shoes. I laugh. They do look pretty cool. They for running? No, girl, these shoes are not run through the forest and get all torn up shoes. They go to school and make everybody jealous shoes. I'm laughing again, and it feels amazing. The ache in my head recedes. So what do you do besides skip grades and go running in the forest? I play a little guitar, a little basketball. Ooh, basketball. I bet you're good. Because I'm black? My face goes from normal to 100 degrees hotter in two seconds. Stupid, stupid. No, I just meant... Then, I see his grin. He leans across the table. I'm just messing with you. Oh, good. Yeah, and actually, I kind of suck at basketball. I'm not on a team or anything. I just play with my boys for fun. I'm no good at any sport, I say. Never played. I can show you a few things, if you want some time. Sure. Although I'm pretty sure there's not going to be anything much more embarrassing than fumbling around with a basketball on a court in front of this gorgeous guy. Except maybe tripping over a soccer ball in front of him, or getting smacked in the face with a volleyball, or missing a golf ball altogether when it's right in front of me. Maybe we should steer clear of sports. Before we can talk any more, some other teens walk up to our table. There's Julio, whom I've met, and another guy and girl that I haven't. The girl has smooth, dark skin and long, black braids, and the guy is bigger and beefier than Zane, with a tuft of hair on his chin and a wide smile. What's up, man? They do some kind of complicated secret handshake thing, and the big guy squeezes in next to Zane. Move over, string bean. Hey, how you doing? He shoves his hand across the table. I'm Michael. Michael? The girl snorts. Since when do we call you Michael? His name's Mike. She says to me. I'm Laurel. Ashlyn, nice to meet you. I like your Z. She's got nice manners, not like your hulums. She scoots onto the bench beside me. Where am I supposed to sit? Says Julio, looking pained. Julio... Laurel drags out each syllable. Pull up a chair from that table and quit your whining. He obeys her meekly. Hey, Ashlyn. I smile. Hey, Julio. So you're the little snowflake Zane's been talking about, says Mike. I raise my eyebrows. Snowflake? 
Okay. Zane elbows him. Hard. Come on, man. Mike holds up his hands. I'm chill, I'm chill. We're just all getting to know each other, okay? All getting to be friends. I hear you homeschooled. He says. Jeez, Mike. Says Zane. Yeah, I hate it. I say. But it is what it is. You play the hand you're dealt. I hear that. Mike nods. Well, we're happy to have you in the squad. Everybody's welcome. He really seems to mean it, so I give him my best smile. Thanks. They start talking about school and about the weekend, but mostly about nothing in particular. I sit there, smiling, nodding, soaking it in. Until Gemma and Jillian walk up to our table, staring. Hello, ladies. Says Mike, looking them up and down. What can we do for you? Essen, says Jillian. It's time to go. Laurel slips out of the booth so I can get out. These are my aunts, I say, flushing. Gemma and Jillian. You got twin aunts? That's so cool, says Julio. Gemma smiles at him. You're cute. Call me when you're a few years older. Where's a rock to crawl under when I need one? Let's go, I snap. Bye, guys. Friday, says Zane. I'll be there. As I hurry the twins away, Jillian asks, What's Friday? I'm going to this live music thing with him downtown, I explain. Like an outdoor concert. Maeve won't like it, Ashlyn. Does she have to know? Jillian shakes her head. Don't start with this human teenage thing, Ashlyn. We can't afford one of our kind being careless. If you aren't going to be trustworthy with your freedoms, you'll lose them. What, you'll lock me up? Keep me in the dungeon full time? She stops and turns me to face her, her fingers digging into my arm. Don't push her, Ashlyn. You have no idea what she's capable of. Your mother found out the hard way. What? I gasp, but she's already walking away from me. What's that supposed to mean? Don't make a scene, says Jillian. Just walk. We're going home. I don't speak on the way home. The twins are already over it, jabbering on about what they bought and which brands and the prices and how stunning they'll look and where they should wear each outfit. I hug my bag, thinking about Zane and the green halter top, and the green leprechauns, and what Jillian meant when she said my mother found out the hard way, when Maeve said she took care of my mother and her lover. What did that mean? When we reach the house, I jump out of the car, intending to run straight up to my room, but Jillian blocks my way. Here, she says, handing me a box. Maeve had me pick it up for you. I didn't know which case you'd want, so I got a few options. She hangs a bag over my arm. Happy birthday. Remember... Now you have something to lose. She flounces off and I stare at the box. It's a smartphone. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Six. Thunder. Zane. Friday night, Frank picks me up. On the way to get Ashlyn, we stop by Julio's house, and he bounces into the back seat, just buzzing with energy. You guys ready for fun, fun, fun? Dude, I say. Did you just down an energy drink again? Just do, bro, he says. Gotta keep it light, keep it loose for the girls tonight, yeah? Girls? Yeah, yeah, Laurel's coming, and Frank's new girl's gonna meet us there with her friend, and then there's Ashlyn, but don't worry, man, I'll let you have her. Let me have her? Thanks, bro. So, you two are like a thing now? Nah, man, we didn't even have a real date yet. Well, you gotta mark your territory, man, that's all I'm saying. Cause there's other guys out there who might want a shot. I punch him in the arm and he laughs. It takes years to get to the corner store. Years. Then we're there, and she's by the curb, looking like a million bucks. Maybe a billion. She's wearing the green halter top she bought at the mall, lord have mercy, and skinny jeans, and her red hair's all twisted up somehow on her head, and there's dangly earrings involved, but, but mostly I notice her little smile, and how she looks so alive, and the way her green eyes widen and brighten when she sees me. Hi there, I say. Hey, you look incredible. Thanks. You don't mind sitting in the middle. We're picking up Laurel, too. Sure. Uh, just a sec. I duck my head into the car, fix Julio with a glare and hiss, Hands to yourself. Then I pop back out and wave her inside with a smile and a flourish. When she's buckled in, I slide in beside her. We're shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, and I feel the softness of her arm pressing against mine. She smells faintly sweet and fresh and delicious. When she turns to say hello to Julio, some escaped curls from a knot of red hair brush my cheek. I can't help staring at her profile as we drive, noticing little things like the freckles and the tiny mole on the curve of her chin and the way her eyelashes droop. She doesn't seem like a magical forest spirit now. She's just a girl, real, right here in the flesh beside me, and the realness of her is even better than first sight. Suddenly, I realize that I'm not talking, like I haven't said a word since she got in the car. Julio is chattering away, and she's laughing at something he said. Jerk. I better think of something to say. You guys hear about those babies getting kidnapped? It pops out of my mouth before I think. Frank frowns at me in the rearview mirror. Dude! We're trying to keep the mood light here? Yeah, dude. Julio chimes in. What's with the downer? Can't we just be chill? I saw it on the news, Ashlyn says. Scary. Yeah. I look down at my hands. I've got nothing else to say. Freaking idiot. Then we're at Laurel's townhouse, and she's swaggering down the steps, all sultry hips and red lips. We dated about a year ago, but she broke it off. Says she's not interested in getting serious before college. Just wants to have fun. What's the point of high school romance? She told me. Two people go all gaga for each other, and then they graduate and go their separate ways. No high school heartbreak for me. You're sweet, but I'm just not into doing the whole serious thing. I was bummed, but not heartbroken. I think my mom was more tore up about it than me. Laurel and I decided to stay friends, and it's worked out so far. Although I think she and Mike have a thing that's more than a friendship. Couldn't swear to it, though, but he'd probably be coming with us if he didn't have to work. Hey, caveman, Laurel says, swinging herself into the front passenger seat. She turns and waves perfectly manicured fingers at Ashton. Hey, boo, good to see you again. Laurel's good people. Once she's in the car, everybody talks more easily, even me. Somehow Laurel gets Ashlyn to tell us more details about her life, her studies, the music she likes, the TV shows she watches, all the questions I should be asking. Apparently, Ashton and I share a love of TV shows about anything superhuman. 
Vampire Slayers, Teenage Werewolves, Vampire Brothers, Human Brothers, Hunt Monsters, you name it, she's seen it. We're deep in our discussion of our shared love of Marvel shows and movies when we arrive downtown. I barely noticed that we're walking up Main Street, arriving at the stage area, getting spots for the concert, because the whole time I'm talking Luke Cage, Johnny Blaze, and Black Panther, and she's just as into it as me, with all these clever comments and insights into the storyline and characters, and the whole time I'm just thinking, I've never talked this much with a girl, or enjoyed it this much. Alright, alright, nerds, says Laurel finally. Can we get a little quiet up in here? The music's gonna start. Sorry, Laurel, we'll be quiet. Ashton gives me this sorry-not-sorry look with a sparkle in her eye, and that's it. I'm hers now, probably forever. She shows me her new smartphone, and I enter her number in mine. And even though I usually hate selfies, I let her take one of us. It looks incredibly weird, so we take a few more until we get one that pleases her. Then, the bass rolls and the concert gets going. I've never had a better Friday night. The band is lit and the crowd is hot, and the beat is strong as thunder, and we're moving with it. She's sitting next to me on a bench at first, but after a while, some of the other couples start dancing, so I pull her up with me, and we dance. When she starts to move, I notice her wince a little. Is it okay? I ask. With your leg, I mean. Sure, she says. It's totally fine. I'll sit down if it starts really hurting. There's a night breeze on our faces, and a glow from the street lamps and those round yellow lights strung building to building. I can smell cigarette smoke and hints of booze from the adults with wristbands, and the aroma of sizzling food from the restaurants bordering the square. Her fingers are thin and soft in mine, and she's close, so close, moving in that slow, swerving way, and I can hardly stand it. When the song ends, I need a minute. I'm going to grab us a couple sodas, I say, and I dash away into the crowd, heading for a fast food restaurant a few shops down from the square. I need to cool off, get myself under control. I realize once I get to the restaurant that I never asked her what she likes to drink, but then I remember the Diet Coke she bought at the corner store, so I fill a paper cup with that. Less than ten minutes have passed since I left her, but when I reach the others, she's gone. She got a phone call, man, says Julio. Her family wants her to go home right away. She went to the bus station. Dude, you let her go alone? I let her? Man, I said, wait till Zane gets back. He'll walk you over there. But did she listen to me? Oh, no, no. I'm not taking the heat for this one, man. She just left a few minutes ago. You could probably catch her. Is the bus even running this late? It's 9.30. Julio shrugs and goes back to dancing with a friend of Frank's girl. I hand off my drinks to Laurel and dive back into the crowd to find Ashlyn. 7. Trouble. Ashlyn. Jillian told on me. That has to be it. The reason why, on the best night of my life, I got an all-caps text demanding that I come home immediately or risk severe consequences. Screw you, Jillian, I whisper. I'm following my phone's directions to the bus station, but my thigh muscles are aching where the leprechaun cut me, and I can't stand the thought of walking all that way. It looks as if I can trim some distance by cutting down a side street, so I turn right where I'm supposed to go straight. I take another turn, or two, or three. My phone recalculates, and recalculates again, and then freezes. Crap. I poke at the screen, willing the app to fix itself. Okay, Ashlyn, just retrace your steps. I'm standing in an alley, well-lit, but definitely very alley-like. Garbage bins, puddles of stagnant water, bits of litter, and a couple very large scuttling roaches. Weathered brick walls dotted with narrow, dirty windows rise on either side. There's one bright street lamp near me, and another one a little further down, that flickers every so often, as if it's trying to make up its mind whether or not to go on shining. I choke back a nervous laugh. This is just the type of place where stupid girls in movies usually get jumped by the bad guys. Just my luck. After a super fun night with a super hot guy, I'm lost in the back alley with roaches and the lovely aroma of mildew and rancid trash. Delightful. Ashton? 
I nearly jump out of my sandals as Maeve's voice behind me. But when I spin around, there's no one in the alley. I scrutinize each doorway and window, heart pounding. Weird. Again, from behind me, is Maeve's crisp tones. Ashton? Again, nothing. My heart is thumping so hard I think it might explode out of my chest like some kind of alien fetus. What the heck is going on? Ashton! I whirl, and this time I see it. Or him. I notice the red jacket first, and it sends an odd chill down my spine. The flash of red at the pond. The nightmares. The fear dirk. When I was young, Magnolia told me of the fear dirk. The red man. The trickster. The fey being who could mimic any voice. Thanks to her description, I had always pictured him as a hunched figure with gnarled fingers, sharp teeth, yellow diseased splotches, and beady eyes. Something old. Something ugly. Well, the man standing not five steps away from me is nothing like my imaginary fear dirk. He's young. Or at least he seems young at first glance. There's something old about his eyes, about the wry twist of his mouth, though the planes of his face are smooth, cheeks slightly sunken under high cheekbones, jaw square and clean-shaven, lips thin but sensual, parting over white teeth as he half-smiles at me. His brows are straight and as black as his wavy hair. His jacket is bold, brilliant red, but the shirt under it is black, and he wears dark jeans. He's tall and long-limbed, less muscular than Zane, but lithe like a cat. He stands, hands on his hips and feet apart, with a flickering street lamp casting a hazy glow around him. I suddenly realize that I'm not breathing. I suck in a lungful of air. Sorry about that, he says. We couldn't resist. You're just too deliciously jumpy. This time he speaks in a youthful male voice, the smooth, mocking voice from my dream. Wake up, Aris. He paces slowly, circling me and looking me up and down. When he flashes me a beautiful smile, I swear my heart skips a beat, but I'm scared too, really and truly terrified, because no handsome face could erase the terrible tales I've heard of him, or the horror he has put me through in those nightmares, if he is who I think he is. I step back, until I'm feeling something behind me. A dumpster? A wall? I seem to have lost all sense of direction. Who are you? My voice doesn't sound like it belongs to me. Ashlyn, Ashlyn, he says his tone low and caressing as he steps closer. I think you know. Fear Dirk, I say breathlessly in the old tongue. Good girl, I see Maeve has taught you well. Or was it Magnolia? He smirks. She was always a storyteller. You, you know them? Know them, darling. I made them. I should run. I try to move, but I can't. Not a muscle. He's right in front of me now. He places one hand on either side of my shoulder, against the wall behind me, and bends his face toward mine. I can see a light dusting of freckles across his cheekbones. His gray eyes are luminous, with almost a silvery shine, like wells as deep as time and brimming with magic. I'm losing myself in them. My skin is prickling, buzzing with a spell I'm under, but I barely notice. Please? I say, but I'm not sure what I'm asking for. He stares at me, or into me, for a long moment, then he steps away, looking frustrated. Too easy, he says. Always too easy. I thought you'd be different, but you're so human. Not a shade of magic to fight back with. In all these years and generations, nothing. The demons steal your form or give you no powers in return. He walks a few steps away, then circles and strides back. I still can't move, bound by his spell. Do you hate it? He asks me. 
Do you hate being so powerless when you're in this form? No special abilities, no supernatural skills. I always wanted to be normal, I say. He snorts in disgust. Normal? Why? What is normal? Who is normal? Do you want to be average, mediocre, helpless? You should long to be a goddess or a superhero. That's who you humans worship now, eh? Um, no, I say. We worship pop stars and movie actors. He stares at me, grins, and suddenly the faint buzz of the spell dissipates. I feel shaky and weak, but I can move again. I can run. But I don't. Why are you here? I ask. I came to see you, he says. I've been waiting for you to come of age, to see if there was anything different or exciting about you. But here you are, just human and useless, not a shred of special powers about you. I'm sorry that I'm such a disappointment, I snap. You're not exactly what I pictured either. I thought the fear Dirk would be... I pause. Old? Strange? Cruel? He says. Trust me, love. I'm all three. I thought you'd be uglier. He laughs, beautifully and hollowly, and the sound bounces off the alley walls and echoes more times than it naturally should. I shiver. I was born in this way, he says. And by good fortune, I got to keep my face when I became who I am. One of the few advantages of immortality. I'm fairly tired of the look, myself. Gets old after several hundred years. He studies me again, head tilted to one side. You amuse me, little one, he says. And you're decent to look at. A nice form, too. I shrink backward as his eyes run over me. Oh, I think I'd like to play with you a little while. Just the two of us, before we let the old ladies know that I'm back. Let's try a little supernatural power, shall we? Closer he steps, reaching out his hand. A taste of my gifts, just for you. No thanks, I say. I don't want it. I move to run, but not fast enough. The spell seizes around my body again, and I'm immobilized. I feel helpless, and I hate it. Rage rises in me, and as he comes closer, I spit and curse him with the worst words I know. I love that fire in your soul, Mjernan, he says, using an old Irish word for darling. His face is close to mine again, and he looks at me with the confidence of someone who has gotten his way for a very long time. I'm not your darling! I can't give you anything new, yet. But I can share with you my little talents. He steps swiftly toward me and touches my forehead with the first two fingers of his right hand. He mutters a few Gaelic words. Then his lips close over mine so fast that I can't twist away. Heat floods over me, and power flows like a current between us. Mixed in with my fear and fury is a sudden craving for something I never knew existed, something dark and fierce. The kiss breaks off, but the fear Dirig isn't done with me yet. His fingers trace my lips, then move to my neck, my collarbone. Ashlyn? My heart stops. It's Zane's voice. I hear quick footsteps, and the fear Dirig is yanked away from me by strong brown hands. Get off her! Zane's voice is a growl, a fierce threat. But as much as I appreciate his defense of me, I'm terrified for him. The fear Dirig is capable of anything. I'm okay, I gasp, running to Zane. He's just, um, he's drunk, that's all, let's go. Zane's eyes are blazing, and I can see the muscles of his arms bulging. The man in the red jacket leans against the wall and smiles, waiting. Please, Zane, please, it's not worth it, let's go. I wrap both arms around his bicep and lead him out of the alley.
Julio told me you decided to walk to the bus station alone, says Zane after we are a little distance away. Yeah, it was dumb of me, just like those girls in the movies who think they can walk through alleys at night and be just fine, and then they get jumped. But I thought it would be okay, you know? It's not that late, and it's still light out. It wasn't dangerous, and he wouldn't have really hurt me, I don't think. Just wrong place, wrong time is all. Ashlyn! He stops and puts his hands on my shoulders. Take a breath. I suck in a long breath and let it out again. I'm really fine. Sure. We walk for a few more minutes. Why didn't you wait for me? He asks. I was coming back. I could have gone with you. I got a text from home, I say. They wanted me to come back right away. The bus station is closed anyway. We'll have to call you a lift. He walks me back to a more well-traveled street and waits with me until the car comes. Like some kind of old-school gentleman, he even opens the car door for me. You gonna be okay? He asks. Probably not. Of course. I had a really great time. Me too. He looks at me, not in my eyes, but at my mouth. Suddenly, I realize that I can't handle it if he kisses me now, not after what the feared deer just did. Good night, I say, and jump into the car. He looks surprised, but he waves as we drive away. And a few minutes later, I get my first text from him. A simple, good night. Alright, that was so much fun. <laughs> In case you couldn't tell, I really, um, doing an Irish accent is, is a lot of fun. I enjoy that very much. Um, what do, you, what do you think of my Irish accent? I think I've actually got some listeners from Ireland, so maybe you guys can give me some, some coaching tips. I'd love to hear from you at Another World Audiobooks on uh, Twitter, or uh, all the links to all the other socials are down below. Speaking of that, make sure to check out Rebecca Kenny. I, I know I'm harping on this, but I want you guys, she was so generous to allow us to be able to read this excerpt on the show, uh, and I hope that it is worthwhile for her and uh, we can make it worthwhile by going and following her liking her stuff maybe purchasing a, a book if this is something that you're into uh, and go back and listen to the other episodes make sure to share those around just uh, everything that we do as a community is is building up other people and uh, it's just it's a, a great way to help each other on our journey uh, as you know, indie authors and as uh, listeners and readers. This is a great way to make sure that you know, great content keeps being produced. So speaking of which, if you enjoy Another World Audiobooks, just share it with people that you know who might enjoy a free audiobook. And especially if uh, if you enjoy this indie author segment, make sure to get in touch with indie authors that you know. Or if you are an indie author, get in touch with me. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk because I want to do more of these bonus episodes. And if you want to hear more of these bonus episodes, episodes, then uh, I'm going to need some help from you. And th that comes in just uh, spreading the, the word about the podcast, maybe considering uh, becoming an editor of the podcast. That would be a huge help. Uh, since I'm recording a ton of stuff, it's taking me a ton more time to edit. And I could really use some help in that regard. So if that's something that you would be interested in, I'd love to talk with you. Just get in touch with me. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can consider supporting the podcast. That's anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks. But whatever you do, make sure to check out Rebecca Kenny on all of the links down below. And and uh, yeah, send some writing community love her way. So thanks so much. Uh, we will uh, be sending you an episode of Treasure Island here on Sunday. So I hope you enjoy these bonus episodes. And uh, we'll be probably doing it again next week. So stay tuned.
Don't worry, you aren't the only one. You aren't the only business that needs help. You aren't the only person that has a hard time finding the right help at the right price. This is where Business Bloodline becomes your bloodline to temporary and permanent staffing. Business Bloodline specializes in hiring internet workers to creatively solve problems for your business. Business Bloodline does all the vetting and only delivers candidates that make sense for your needs and at a cost that you can afford. But 60 seconds isn't enough for me to tell you why hiring through Business Bloodline is safer, cheaper, and less time consuming. We would rather show you. To get more information or a business consultation, visit businessbloodline.com. If the job can be done on a computer, Business Bloodline can find a match. Visit businessbloodline.com and tell them that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get 10% off your first hire. Remember to mention that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get that 10% off. Businessbloodline.com